When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everybody, it's Trags. It's Wednesday, February 13th, day before Valentine's Day. And no better time than for episode 285 to drop this of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and follow us, of course, on Twitter at Patriots CLNS all off-season long. It's going to be a very busy off-season for the New England Patriots. Patriots just over a week removed from winning their sixth Lombardi Trophy down in Atlanta. They're in Atlanta, and two days later on a duck boat in Boston was Ryan Hannibal, the terrific columnist and reporter covering the Patriots for WEEI.com. How was it? How did you enjoy being on the duck boats, Ryan? It was a unique experience for sure. I mean, it's not too often you can say you, you rode down Boylston Street in a duck boat. It was a little bit awkward, I guess, where, you know, you're not really, really waving to the crowd like we didn't, we didn't do anything. Um, so there wasn't really, you know, the, the, you know, rowdiness that were the boats behind us, but definitely, you know, really cool experience seeing the crowds and, and just, you know, how many people turned out and just the support that the Patriot team was, was getting. And so from, from the experience standpoint, it was definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity that, you know, I really enjoyed, but you know, there were some points where it was like, you know, we didn't do anything. So you really, you know, couldn't like wave to the crowd and, you know, any of, any of that stuff, but you know, definitely a cool experience. You know what you could have done? You what, could, what could I have done? You could have done what David Andrews did. Take off your shirt and just rock the duck butt. <laughs> that would have been great. That would have been a sight to see Ryan Hannibal lighten up uh, or, or uh, casting up a, a Bud Light or two, shouting dilly dilly from the top of the media duck boat. I think Stacey James would not have had a problem with that. Do you? Uh, well, he was on the boat. so I, I think know he, he was. Would put, he, would, he would have put an end to that right away. <laughs> Uh, but I, I will, I will say, I, I want to take credit for. I did call David Anders for being one of the sleeper, like most party going people in the parade. I called that beforehand. Did you really? Well, you nailed that. You, you couldn't have been more accurate about that. It was, um, you know, the fun thing. And I was down actually on Boylston Street, um, uh, right at about Clarendon and Boylston as they uh, uh, moved by and rolled by in the duck boats mm-hmm. and. Um, it, it was a very happy type of atmosphere, and, and a lot of the Patriots seem to really be getting into it, enjoying the crowd. I mean, they always enjoy the crowd, of course. It's that kind of uh, atmosphere, you know, where the crowd's out there to celebrate your world championship. But it just seemed like, to me, um, this group of Patriots was very appreciative and, and very laid back, which was nice to see. I would agree with that as well. I think we sort of got that feel the whole postseason. They sort of had that, you know, 
not they had like that quiet confidence about them where they you know going to Kansas City yes they were the underdogs so they had that you know sort of confidence that they could get it done and you know relating to the parade I think obviously the temperature of it being 60 degrees definitely helped out everyone's moods were better and you know everybody was more more you know happy and excited than they would be if the weather was say you know 20 degrees. Uh, as it was and raining and snowing when I was on the duck boat, uh, two years prior for the, uh, 28-3 to comeback against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, great, I mean, it was, you know, an incredible game. It's ironic because yep. this year the game was kind of a dud. I mean, to be honest. Agreed. 13-3, there was really no drama. You really pretty much knew that the Patriots were the better team when they stepped on the field and despite Brady scoring just three points with five possessions in Rams territory in the first half, you knew the the Patriots were the better team, period. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, two years ago, the the game was great, but the parade was just a downer because the, the, the weather just kind of sucked. Any of, you, you know, you gave me the David Andrews one. Any two or three other best highlights from covering the Duck Boat Parade? Um, it's hard to say because, I mean, like I said before, we were sort of, we were boat number two. So we were in the front of the pack, so you really couldn't see anything going on behind us. I mean, in front of us was Robert Kraft and the Kraft family, and behind us was Bill Belichick, Joshua Daniels, Nick Casario. So that wasn't really exactly like the, a rowdy part of the parade. Um, I mean, the, the, the signs were certainly, you know, fun to see going through. And then afterwards, we talked to a couple of players, but most of them just got right on the buses and, and rode there. So from a, a coverage standpoint, there really wasn't much to sort of see from our vantage point. But obviously, you know, going back and watching all the videos and, and you know, tweets and all that stuff, Gronk was obviously, you know, a major highlight. Edelman, the, the offensive line. And so, it, like you said before, it was really good to see the players just embrace the fans and sort of that went along with how they really did the whole the whole season. So a shirtless Gronk uh, wearing a police vest um, is among the number of players that I wanted to address with you and their future with the Patriots. Gronk and Devin McCourty, we'll start with those two. And whether or not you think they're going to be back with the Patriots next year, I don't think, I think Gronk's done, but I could be surprised. I could certainly be proven wrong there. Uh, and Devin McCourty, let's just start there, those two. Gronk, I'm sort of with you. I think that I think that I'm leaning towards him, him being done. And yes, there could be something that comes into play where maybe Tom Brady goes to him and tries to make his pitch to have him come back for another season. But you know, what is there to come back for if you're Rob Gronkowski? What else is there? You know, there is something to be said for going out on top. And I think I go back to the way that Gronk was talking Super Bowl week about you know the abuse that his body took and and how much it is just to come back on a weekly basis. And that's something that people don't really think about is you know how much abuse these people these players bodies take and people just expect them to come back the next week and be ready to practice on wednesday and so that was sort of the first time that we had Gronk just sort of give specifics on you know the way he was feeling just the way that he went about that week i sort of got the sense that he was preparing mentally for that that to be his last game so like you said things could certainly change but i think as of now i'm leaning towards him him retiring and then with Devin, that's a tough one. I think that, you know, he made those comments on opening night, and then sort of took him back the next day, and it's sort of been backpedaling ever since. I think the latest was earlier this week when he talked to Albert Breer of MMQB, where he basically said he hasn't made up his mind. He wants to take a step back and see how his body feels. So I think he's sort of, you know, deciding. And I guess if I had to lean one way or the other with him, I would say he comes back. I think that 
not only will you know the Patriots defense try to sway him to come back, but also maybe the coaching staff. I think something to be said for all the number of coaches that are leaving and how important it is to have a guy like Devin back who's been around for a while, who can communicate, who can be a leader. And I think that not only will the players try to you know recruit him back, but also the coaching staff as well. All right, I'm going to give you three defensive players, uh, three other defensive players, and they're, I think you can make a case for them all being important, if not vital. Trey Flowers is vital. Yep. He, uh, to me, they... They've got to find a way to bring him back, uh, because I just don't know with a guy of, of, of his skill set and knowing the Patriots and the Belichick defensive scheme and, um, you know, what they have put in place here. I think they want him back and I think he comes back. Malcolm Brown and Jason McCourty. So those three. Uh, let's start right off the bat. I don't think Malcolm Brown's coming back. I think, you know, he was a solid first round pick. He had, you know, he was a, a solid player for them, but I think that they're in a position where he may not be worth whatever contract he's going to get and they can probably get, you know, similar production from a guy that they either draft or, you know, sign to a, to a fairly, you know, team friendly contract. So he's probably gone. Jason McCourty, I, I think he's sort of in line with, with Devin. If Devin comes back and plays it again, I don't see a scenario why Jason wouldn't come back and sign a team-friendly deal. I think that there was really something to be said for those two playing together and, and how they sort of work with the defense. And I think that you know they're they're basically a pair at this point. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Belichick makes it a, a priority to make sure that Jason comes back, if Devin comes back. And then Trey Flowers, I'm with you. He's very important to the defense in the front seven. He knows the Belichick system. He knows how to play that defensive end spot. So it will be interesting to see what happens to him when he hits the market. I potentially could see a scenario where it's like Dante Hightower a couple of years ago where he makes a couple of visits but doesn't really get the offers that he thought he might get just because of his numbers aren't really there with some of the other top-of-the-line defensive ends. And so maybe there's a scenario where he goes, makes a couple of visits, and then sees at the end that maybe the Patriots have the best offer and they know how to get the most out of him. So. If I had to guess right now and put a percentage on it, I would probably say there's like a you know sixty five seventy percent chance that Flowers comes back. So I think Trey Flowers is in a better position than Dante Hightower was. I think football personnel people who watch Trey Flowers play think he is a dominant player. I think mm-hmm. Dante Hightower seemed like a, a terrific system player, one of the brightest players on the market, but not. He certainly was a uh, has been a playmaker at key points of his career. Super Bowl Fifty One, uh, AFC Championship, no question in Kansas City. Um, I mean, he he has been a big time player at big moments. But I think overall production, I think Trey Flowers has more of a ceiling. I would agree with you as well. And I think the other thing to look at too is the Trey Flowers is, is he has he's not injury prone. He's on the field pretty much every single week. Whereas Hightower that was a major concern where he you know, couldn't play more than 12 games in a season. So I, I do think that Flowers is, is in a better position than Hightower is, but, you know, people are talking about, you know, some crazy, crazy money going to Trey Flowers' way, and maybe some teams just look at the, the sack numbers and just don't see, you know, why he's deserving of so much money, and that's why I could potentially see him coming back to the Patriots. But, I mean, I could be wrong. I could, a team could, you know, overpay for a guy like Trey Flowers, and if, if a team's going to overpay for him, I don't see why he would, you know, turn that money down to return to the Patriots for, you know, lesser contract when he can get that big contract somewhere else. 
Speaking with WEI.com's Ryan Hannibal, you mentioned a little bit earlier, Ryan, uh, all of the coaching uh, movement on the Patriots staff, and there was a lot of it. Um, defensive signal caller Brian Flores is now the head coach with the Miami Dolphins, taking with him Chad O'Shea, Jerry Shaplinski, and Josh Boyer. Uh, Brendan Daly's gone, defensive line coach. He was uh, hired by the Kansas City Chiefs. That's a lot of brain power off the off the Belichick staff, and and you know he's dealt with has Bill uh, in years past. You know a lot of transition. This feels different to me. Uh, and I hate to use that cliche about the Patriots in weeks one through four, but this does feel a little bit different in in terms of the amount of uh, brain power that the Patriots are going to have to replace on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, Greg Schiano, the new defensive coordinator, has a lot of familiarity with Bill and vice versa. Um, but your thoughts on on losing that much brain power all at once? Yeah, it's definitely a lot. When you, I mean, just think about it. The only defensive coach coming back next year, positional coach, is is Steve Belichick, and so that's that's a lot of you know a lot of new faces coming in, and yeah, it is sort of unusual. I think that it's sort of a combination of a lot of things. I think that there were certainly expiring contracts that were a factor. Maybe some of these people are going to other places to get more money and maybe more responsibility. Certainly, there's something to be said for working under Belichick, where it's not. You're not getting maybe some responsibility and credit that you'd be getting somewhere else. So it certainly could be seen as to why some of these coaches are leaving. And then I guess my other thing with the Shiano hire is I think some people have the wrong assumption where Shiano's going to come in and do things his own way. I don't think he is. I think he's just going to be building off of what Belichick has already put into place and what the other coaches have put into place before him and he's going to pick up on that he's not going to come in and sort of change players roles change the whole system like there's not going to be any of that it's going to be more of shiano building off of what belichick has put into place and therefore like i don't see the whole narrative that shiano's going to bring in his guys like what what guys does greg shiano have to bring in he's just going to be basically going off of what bill gives him and basically working off of bill as opposed to you know putting his whole imprint on the defense I could not agree with that more. I think you're right on the money there, and Shannon knows that. I mean, he knows he's coming in to work for Bill, uh, just like he came in to work for, um, obviously, um, Ohio State's head coach, uh, who is now gone, uh, and, mm-hmm. you know... He, he knows what the the deal is working for Belichick, and you know, like much like Urban Meyer, Bill Belichick is an alpha dog, and I, I don't think that's going to change at all. It's a good point that it's, he's sort of going from one of the you know best college coaches that won't coach the game to one of the best or the best professional coaches coaching the game. So he sort of knows his role, and I think that that could serve him well. Um, and I you know looking back at the Ohio State defenses, they weren't anything you know great this past couple of seasons nope. you know, looking at his, the, pure, the pure numbers so it's not like you can say that you know Greg Schiano is a defensive mastermind I mean he's a, he's a good coach he's coached the NFL before he's coached some of these Patriots players before but you know I think there is something to be said for just you know going along with what Belichick has already put into place and just building off of that as opposed to coming in and, and sort of you know changing things a lot I gotta tell you um somebody who didn't get a lot of buzz for head coaching um 
viability, uh, but I think would make a great head coach down the road is Brendan Daly. And mm-hmm. a little, uh, you know, and he probably wanted better opportunity, like you said, uh, three years, four years defensive line coach for the Patriots. Um, I love his attitude, love his intensity, had the pleasure watching him, uh, coach up the Boston College Pro Day, uh, last, uh, whatever it was, March, um, at Chestnut Hill. And he's mm-hmm. a great teacher, great intensity. And when you talk to a lot of the players, uh, as you certainly do, the defensive line coach, uh, defensive line, uh, personnel, they love playing for the guy. You're, you're right on the money with how intense he is, you know, just being at practice for the, whatever time we get, you know, 10 minutes and seeing that first period, you can just see how intense he is and how, how driven he is and how, you know, intense he is with his players to get the most out of them. So yes, I, you know, I do think that he has the potential to grow in this system. And, and with him, I look at it as a couple of things. I know his wife is from the Kansas City area, so that probably played a factor into him going there, but also the fact that if, you know, he was probably next in line to be, you know, the de facto defensive coordinator and, you know, Belichick obviously chose Shiano maybe over him. So he sort of looked at it as, you know, maybe, you know, a little bit like if, he, if Belichick's going to go with Shiano, then what's my point of even being here anymore? If this was my chance to, you know, elevate and I you know I'm not given the opportunity. So maybe he looked at it as his chance to get out and he saw, you know, the writing on the wall to not advance in the Patriots system. So he, you know, took his chance, took his, his out and, and went to Kansas City where he'll probably get the chance to grow as that, you know, defense sort of changes its looks a little bit with you know, obviously Bob Sutton leaving. So there's some change there and he may be given a chance to, to grow and show his, you know, what he is as a coach even more there than he would with the Patriots. Uh, speaking with Ryan Hannibal, a great Patriots reporter for WEEI.com, who, by the way, has a great story about what we have just been talking about. Could coaching turnover impact how the Patriots approach the offseason? You talk not only about uh, the coaching staff turnover, but uh, a couple of the players we've talked about uh, approaching free agency, namely uh, Trey Flowers. Check that out on WEEI.com. Um, I want to get your read on, you know, just as we're uh, recording this, uh, Joe Flacco signs with the Denver Broncos. And uh, traded to the Denver Broncos. Thank you. Um, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on what the Patriots will do to try and find their quarterback of the future uh, in this draft. See, so I'm, I was talking about this with a couple other people earlier this week. Like, I, I don't think it's necessarily imperative that they, you know, draft the quarterback. Obviously, if there's a guy that they like and a guy that they think could be the future of the franchise, by all means, I think they should go and get him. Even if that guy is going to be in the middle of the first round, you have six picks in the first three rounds. You can package those picks to basically move up anywhere in the draft. So if there's a guy that they like and the guy that they really think is going to be the future, then by all means, go and get him. But at the same time, I don't think they should take a quarterback just for the sake of taking a quarterback because they look at Tom Brady's needs. I think they need to be really selective with this process and make sure that they have the right guy and not really force anything, you know, to to bring in a new guy. If it, if it means waiting another year and looking at next year's crop, so be it. I think that they can afford to do that. But at the same time, there needs to be a little bit of urgency because Brady is 42 years old 
and you just don't know, you know, when exactly the end's going to be for him. Obviously, it's not going to be next year, probably not with the year after that. But you know, after you know the next year or two, it's pretty much you know, no one really knows what's going to happen. So it's in the back of your mind, but I don't think it's the priority like everybody else is making it out to be. Kyler Murray, yes or no? No. He's a very talented player, but I just I don't think he fits the Patriots system, and, and I think that he's probably going to be a top ten pick at the end of the day. You know, once he goes through all the combine and all that stuff, and he does have a lot of leverage too. You know, say he gets taken at the end of the first round, he can basically say to that team like, I, I can go play baseball, and make more money. Um, so I, I think that him coming out in the draft right now, when he did, sort of signals to me that he's going to you know probably put some pressure on those teams with say the top half of the first round, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's taken you know, in the top ten you know, come April. I want to get your thoughts on uh, Kareem Hunt. Uh, I think it's I, – I get the fact that uh, the, the current Browns general manager uh, drafted Kareem Hunt in Kansas City, but it just seems like a big gamble for a team that is clearly turning the corner in the Cleveland Browns for them to take. I, I've, that was my first thought. I mean, just look at this last season that they had. Like, they haven't had any more positive publicity in you know the last ten years combined. Right. And they're in a they're in a prime position to you know make and probably you know make a run at the playoffs for that matter next season. And everything was positive with you know the publicity, the PR, and all that. Baker Mayfield and, and everything that came with that. But now you have this sort of cloud hanging over you know in Kareem Hunt and you know going into training camp next. Whatever July, the biggest story with the Browns is going to be Kareem Hunt, not the Browns, you know, making a run at the playoffs and Baker Mayfield coming along in the you know, second year and, and all that positive stuff. Now it's going to be, you know, what's Kareem Hunt's role? How many games is he suspended? When can he return? And all that. So I think that just from, from the Browns and a PR standpoint, I, I don't know if that was necessarily the right move to make, especially when you already have a couple of young, well, talented that's just backs, it. namely Nick Chubb. It doesn't really, it's not like they needed a running back. They had one, you know, Nick Chubb, so I just don't really understand the move. And Duke Johnson. I mean, I get it. Yes, Kareem correct. Hunt, and, and I get it. Kareem Hunt is a, uh, can be a game breaker. He sh- certainly showed that, uh, in the Sunday night game against the Patriots, but I, I don't know. I just don't see taking that kind of chance on a guy with that kind of history. And look, it was one moment, one really horrific, inexcusable moment. But um, the Browns are going to say, well, you know, the Bengals have Joe Mixon, same division, and, you know, he's playing football. He's been given a second chance. Why shouldn't Kareem Hunt? That's going to, you know, that's going to be their rationale. Oh, for sure. You can definitely see their rationale. But like I just said, I mean, you had all this positive publicity, all this, you know, hype around the Browns, and now you're going to go into training camp with this big dark cloud hanging over, you know, the franchise and the organization, you know, and we see this around here with the Patriots when you have these big stories that sort of takes over the narrative for every single player that talks, you know, at, at you know, when they're talking about the Browns, it's going to get asked about Kareem Hunt. And is that what you really want for your organization? Probably not. I mean, you want to be asked about Baker Mayfield, you know, being one of the upcoming quarterbacks in the NFL, having a talented running back in Nick Chubb, you know, having a new coach. Like you want all that stuff to be at the top of the list of, you know, talk, talking points now, you know, Kareem Hunt's there, and that's obviously not what you're looking for. Um, what are you going to be working on uh, next couple of weeks? Are you ca- first of all, are you catching your breath before free agency in March? Yes, I think that's sort of the the goal is to sort of you know rest up, but then gear up for those busy you know week or two, and then you know obviously there's the combine at the end of the month, which is sort of you know a good relaxing week out in Indy, sort of getting a look at the prospects, the 
coaches sort of relaxed, you know, vibe and it's a different feel than the regular season. So as you know, very well know, there's really no NFL off season. It's always go, 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 go until, you know, June and, and early parts of July. So, you know, it's nice to have the off season and you know not, you know, the grind every single day, but as you know, there's always there's always something to write about, especially the Patriots. AAF.com, baby. Have you uh, have you been uh were you able to take in their first week of AAF football? You know, I didn't sit down and watch whole games. I saw some highlights and saw a couple minutes of the you know, the action. Um I don't know. It's nice to have, but I I guess maybe they could have done something a little bit different. Maybe start this the season like during the playoffs, like maybe Monday night or something, just to get the interest going, and maybe you know have the once the Super Bowl ended, have some more like the the, the marquee games. But I would have liked it to start a little bit earlier to get fans' appetite into it, and maybe have more of a discussion when people were all in on football. Maybe that would have helped you know it grow once it started. But, you know, it wasn't that bad football, honestly. Like, I was expecting a lot worse than what I saw. Right. And, you know, it's certainly better than what the XFL was back in 2001. Um, I mean, the XFL had a, you know, a decent first two weeks. And then, obviously, they became, you know, the WWE um, yeah. on, a, on the gridiron. And that just – it didn't work. This is different. I, I think, you know, first of all, they are trying to put football first – they're trying to partner with the NFL and um, NFL brought you know the NFL Network, CBS. They've got a decent, uh, reasonable TV package in place, and sometimes all you need is exposure um, to kind of market and brand the product, and then let it take off in in smaller to medium markets. And it can be what it can be. It's never going to be the NFL, but it may be you know right. a minor league that hey, people always have a thirst for professional football, and you know. I, I don't see any harm in it as long as they understand what they are and stay within the limits. I fully agree. And just look at the markets that they're in. They're in that sort of secondary market that don't really have you know primary football teams. And I think that that's something that these fans in those areas like. I mean, you saw some of the attendance at those games. Like it wasn't you know selling out stadiums, but there was certainly an interest. And look at the ratings too on CBS Saturday night. They were competing with the the NBA, and I think you know that's that's your pretty impressive that a second tier football league was getting pretty much the same rating as the I forget who played, I think Oklahoma City and Houston on yes, so that's, that's correct. That's 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 impressive. And I think that there is something to be said for that there always is sort of an appetite for football. They know they're not gonna be the NFL but they're providing, you know, football content when there isn't the NFL and I think it just shows how popular football is in this country. I hope you uh get a chance to head down to Florida at least for a couple of days and get your golf swing tuned up. I mean, I know, uh, um, you know, it may not be that easy to do and, and that casual, but are you going to be able to get away for a couple of days down to Florida? Don't you worry, Trax. First week of March, right, right before free agency starts. I got a nice weekend down there playing. Uh, hopefully my man. get a few rounds in. That is my man. Oh, but that, that's, that's the thing, though. You have to plan these things out during the offseason. You know, you know, when free agency hits. You're going to be at your computer pretty much that entire week, so you know, get get down there while you can, the week beforehand when you know it's not not as busy. All right, Ryan. I want to thank uh, Ryan Hannibal, and I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Uh, the terrific Ryan Hannibal joined us from weei.com. He covers the Patriots. Do me a huge favor. Follow him on Twitter at 
Ryan Hannibal, all one word, R-Y-A-N-H-A-N-N-A-B-L-E. Obviously, follow him on WEEI.com. For producer Michael Angie, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.